Welcome to the Vortex Nation podcast, brought to you by lovers of hunting, shooting, public lands, the Second Amendment, and good food. What's up, everybody? We are coming here with you with two new guests. You got Mark and myself, Jimmy on the mic here, and uh, across the table from us is Ben and Larry from Vortex. And these guys are going to be able to introduce themselves here. In fact, why don't we actually have them introduce themselves right off the bat? We brought these guys in to discuss the topic of fishing. Now, we've had kind of our one-on-one podcast on a number of different things. We just recently, not too long ago, discussed waterfowl. We've done a lot of hunting, shooting-related things. And just figured fishing is just right in there. And we actually shot out a little email across the company said, hey, we got any folks around here that like to discuss the topic of fishing? And it was overwhelming how many people responded with the fact that, they, that they've been fishing forever. You know, we, we've heard a lot of that, fishing for all different kinds of things, which I think we're going to get into here a little bit for uh, people that are new into fishing. There's like a gazillion different kinds of things under the water. But anyway, we, chances are we're probably going to have to talk to more people about more topics on fishing. But these guys... Uh, seemed excellent to discuss this, this kind of one-on-one level, if you will. So why don't you guys kick it off? We'll go in alphabetical order. So, Ben, you'll start. And, right. uh, yeah, tell the listeners out there who you are, what you do, and, uh, yeah. Yeah, um, Ben Schneider, and I work down in the quality care department, take care of scopes, um, do some inspecting uh, right away, and then also do some repairs to make sure that when they go out there, they're ready to go. Right on, right on. And you've been fishing for how long? Um, 33 and about 30 years. Okay. Definitely started with, like you said, Snoopy Pole. Yeah. And, uh, that's the way to start. <laughs> Solid. Well, I'm Larry Whippenfurth. I work in uh, customer care, get to talk to a lot of our customers out there. It's a lot of fun. Um, and I've been fishing, actually, I figured it out the other day, 52 years. Um, there was no such thing as a Snoopy Pole when I started. Yep. Um, Haddon 303 uh, spin cast rod. One of my first fish was caught less than four miles from here at Birch Lake. So oh. got kind of some history in the area. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. All right. A wealth of knowledge across the table. Mark, you've been fishing for a while too, haven't you? Yeah, I think, you know, it's funny. So I've, I've been fishing since I was three, actually. We've got, uh, God, 42 now. I can't believe it. Um, so Three must be like, Larry, when did you start? How old were you? I was probably a five. Okay, all right. Before I got to go along, like three to five, though, is the general yeah. uh, theme in here. That was when people started fishing. I'll say this though, like it definitely had. I have a memory from that day. Like you know, I mean, I think that's kind of about the time you start actually formulating memories. Yeah, and that not one, many of them, but it's it's kind of hard to yeah think back. But but yeah, I've got some I've got some flickers from that day. So I mean, it was obviously <laughs> like an impactful thing that that stuck with me. Yeah. Yeah. I have fished, but I wouldn't say that I am a fisherman. But pretty much every time I fished, I do remember it. Like even back to when I was pretty little and basically just like, you know, there's some of those situations where you're on a dock where there's just fish where you can basically just drop the hook in and pull it out. And there's a fish on it, you know, yep. just doing stuff like yep. that to catching some bass at some point. That was like the highlight of my Dude, it's small fun. fishing career. I am, pr- I am proud to say that I've never... Throughout my fishing career, if you will, I never had a push button reel, and then I feel like that's you're, like, pr- you're proud to say this. I, I feel like I'm proud to say that. Okay, yeah, that's, that's like you're that's open, cool. open facer. Yeah, you're totally open facer. Totally right open face. Hundred big open face guy. <laughs> Lifetime open facer. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. that's a point of pride for me. I've caught a lot of tree bass. 
Yeah. A lot of like uh, dad's shirt bass, just other kinds of things that aren't real bass. The first big bass I ever caught, I was hung up on a lily pad trying to get it off, and the bass took it off for me. There you go. Right off the lily pad. Yeah, I was fishing a a tube jig, and it got hung up. I was like, ah, 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 ah. And then all of a sudden, the lily pad started fighting back. I'm like, what's going on? And they took (laughs) off the pad, and it was like a three-pounder. Sweet. Anyway. Nice story. So when it comes to the topic of fishing, I'll be uh, the hashtag relatable one, perhaps, to somebody who is at the 101 level, um, because I feel like I was just discussing with these guys. I don't know anything about fishing, aside from the fact that there's a lot of different kinds of fish out there. To do a one-on-one level, this is another thing that we were, uh, Mark and I were bickering about. And, we weren't um, bickering. We're we were bickering, Discussing. Mark. And, uh... <laughs> Constructive discussing. Yes. Yes. Raised voice discussion. Now, we, we, our voices weren't raised. Anyway, but what we were discussing was the fact that to do, like, a fishing one-on-one is, is kind of difficult, it sounds like, because... The way you, f- you the way you fish for bluegills different than the way you fish for bass different from the way you fish walleye different from the way you fish musky the rods the reels the bait where you go what you fish out of or off of is all different type of water you're gonna find these fish now I mean I think there's there's definitely gonna be like commonalities and tactics that you can probably use across the board yeah right. But, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, bass are different than pike that are different from muskies yeah. that are different from steelhead, rivers to lakes. So what do you say to get somebody perhaps excited about the fact that there are so many different avenues one can take with fishing? What, like, what are some examples of very different types of fishing? We'll, we'll boil it down maybe here in, in a bit and get down to what's a good way to start. But also, if you are somebody that's just curious as to, is fishing going to get old quick or are there many different kinds? Like, what, what's out there? Like some examples. The best example, number one, to break it down, take them where there's fish. I mean, mm-hmm. number one, go where there's fish. And um, we were talking earlier about panfish, bluegills, crappies, brim if you're down south. Go somewhere where the fish are readily available. There's a lot of panfish all over the country. They bite in relatively shallow water. So and there's so a lot can of... Be, can be accessed from the banks. Shoreline so fishing. Shoreline fishing is awesome. And there's a lot of there's a lot of public access. We always talk about public access for hunting. There's a ton. Of, there's ten times more public access access for lakes. Yeah, and a lot of shorelines oftentimes have public access to them, like, yeah. uh, like rivers and stuff too, and things and, like that. And a lot of townships are building piers specifically for just fishing. I mean, they're not boat landings. Boat landings are not good places to fish. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of traffic in and out and. A lot of activity. So, and there's a lot of streams. There's a lot of rivers. I grew up on the Wisconsin River, two blocks off. Yeah, kind of cut my teeth there. So, so pan fishing, you know, is something that you can generally do in the shallower water. Like, what's an example of what? What's the thing that makes uh, walleye fishing different from you know pan fishing? Just again, kind of giving people some some examples of just what's out there. Walleye fishing, the best walleye fishing is in the most brutal conditions, spring. Yeah. Fall. There's summer bites all over the place, but you have to have a boat. Mm-hmm. So probably not the best fish to start on. That's fair. That's yeah. fair. But yeah, just an example again yeah. out there. But uh, what what do you guys like to fish the most? Ben, what's your favorite fish to go um, after and how do you do it? That's a pretty tough call. Uh, <laughs> I mean, last night I went trout fishing and that's definitely one of my favorites because you were just kind of, not always, but you're, you know, alone with the stream and you have like all the sounds and the silence of nature. And... I guess it would be probably trout, um, trout, and then 
muskie are fun to fish for, but it gets a little frustrating because it's uh, it's not very often you catch one. Yeah, it, uh, mu- I mean, like you look at even the magazine muskie hunter, right? Like yeah. muskie fishing to me is more like hunting. I mean, you are you are working hard for days, possibly yeah. weeks, for like that one opportunity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when it <laughs> happens, it's amazing, yeah. and it's a big accomplishment. But to Larry's point, like you're investing a lot of time. Yeah. And money and effort end up. Even your your shoulder gets short, uh, sore. Yeah. Oh my god! I mean, you're casting big baits <laughs> for ten hours. At the end of the day, you feel it. How so? How were you fishing for those trout? Last night I was just using a spinning rod okay. and then some smaller like jigs that I could drop, you know, into holes and that oh, kind of stuff, and like okay. just kind of let them flutter. Like I know a lot of people more fly fish. Um, you mm-hmm. know, if people don't fly fish, they're going to more use like live bait or spinners is the most classic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, like for listeners who may not know even what a jig is, like yep. I mean, there's multiple styles of jigs, but maybe talk about the one that you were fishing in this stream. Maybe uh, talk about the type of water that it was. And uh, how you were how you're fishing it? Well, so last night it was the Black Earth Creek, and I got down there about five thirty, which is a good time to trout fish, like mm-hmm. right before dusk. And mosquitoes come out, which was a little negative. But I was actually using a crappie jig, which is meant for crappie and panfish and that kind of stuff. Okay. Um, what I like about it though is, like I said, the ability to kind of let the current play the bait. Mm-hmm. So you're casting it in instead of retrieving it right away. You're actually letting it like fall into the current to kind of mimic a natural bait, like a, a minnow or a crayfish. Okay. Hmm. Gotcha. That's pretty sweet. Larry, what do you, what's your kind of, I guess if you had to pick a favorite, again, just kind of giving people different tastes of what's out there. Um, I'm kind of a, uh, a walleye addict. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's kind of what I do. I mean, I, I'll be fishing now from now up until the lakes freeze. I'll be out there in the boat. That's the one um, you said is when it's pretty harsh out. Yeah, yeah. So spring, spring fishing when the rivers thaw out and everything is a good time pre-spawn. But right now, fall, they're, winter's coming, fish are feeding. I mean, this is a awesome time to fish. A lot of guys are in their bow stands and pheasant hunting and waterfall hunting and doing everything else. And I'm sitting in a boat trying to catch a fish that's a lot smarter than I am. <laughs> like my my perception of walleye are that they're finicky. Is that would that be like a? They're not really finicky. They're easy to catch. The hardest thing is to find them. They move all the time. Okay. Hmm. Uh, they 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 move toward. They follow food. I mean, their whole life, other than spawning, they follow food. Yeah. So you got to find places where their food is, and once you find them, they're relatively easy to catch. Okay. Are you, is that, so you're obviously in a boat, so you're probably in a lake and it's deeper water or something like that? Deeper water, fishing on, right now in Wisconsin, the water's getting colder. So once the water gets colder, I mean, this is probably too much for a beginner fisherman. Water turns over, the oxygen level goes from more on top and less on the bottom to the same from top to bottom. So fish can be anywhere. Mm -hmm. So now you got to kind of figure out where the where the bait does. So the bait goes to deeper water because it's warmer or because it stays at a steady temperature. It doesn't have these big up and downs. So walleyes that will move, I mean, I'm fishing river systems, so they're kind of migrating towards their spring spawning areas already, and they're following the bait. The bait spawns, obviously, too. The walleyes are following them in the fall. Totally different pattern than spring, totally different than summer. So we're fishing on the deepest water available 
depending on whatever body of water we're in right now. Hmm. So interesting. And it's cold. When it's cold, they bite the best. Yeah. Good to know. And is that just because they're ramping up, getting ready for yeah. winter then? Yeah, they're putting on fat right now. Putting on fat, they go over, they get pretty docile in the winter in some waters in this part of the country. Um, and then they're putting on fat for their spawning. Okay. You know, right. They're feeding the right. eggs. So like you said, Larry, maybe maybe some of this stuff is pretty is pretty high level for one to one, but I figured, you know, why not just kind of see what's out there? When we did that, I remember we did the long range podcast and you just discuss all some of the crazy stuff oh and you just gotta dial it back, right? So going back to somebody who's just starting out, they hear, you know, water can flip, there's you know, fish have spawning things where they're in different places at different times of the year. There's different times of the year that are better to fish for certain fish, different places. Uh again, like you said, rods, reels, bait, jigs, bobbers. It's kind of overwhelming. And when you go into a fishing shop where there's tack, I mean, just like everything is, there's a lot. So how do you boil it down for somebody who's just trying to start? What's kind of a universal good way to start? And what would their setup be? Mm -hmm. Rod, Mm -hmm. reel, bait, bobbers. Yeah. Where would you guys, yeah, where would you guys first start off with that? What I would start by is I was kind of, when I was growing up, I was kind of a bait shop bum. Hung around bait shops. My family fished, but they were more hunters. And I kind of dug fishing a little bit more. So I hung out at bait shops. Rode my bike to the bait shop and found out who fished. Old guys are great. (laughs) Because they fish a lot and they know a lot about fishing. What I would do is... A lot of the a lot of stores have seminars right now. The our state DNR has seminars. No matter what age you are, I'm beginning fishing. Hmm. But basically, I would get a medium rod, medium action, which means it's not too stiff and not too light. Does it say that on the yeah, tag? It, like yeah, it's medium. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like tr- like fly rods go in weights, which gets a little confusing. Mm-hmm. Spinning rods, open face. And bait cast push button rods come in action, so they stay with ultralight, light, medium, medium heavy, and heavy. So a medium rod will fish. You can catch ninety percent of fish in fresh water. Yep. And a spinning rod means it's not a fly rod, right? Correct. It's kind of like your traditional. The spool spins. Yeah. Okay. When it brings in the line. Got so it. I guess that's the easiest. And then versus also like what would be like a, a casting reel or like a, yeah, a level wind reel where you've got kind of like that. Yeah, the, it's the line goes back and forth. The the reel the spool spins this way and the line goes back and forth, and it's a whole different skill set to use yeah. those. Yeah. So okay. so a spinning reel is the one you want to start with. I think yeah. If you're beginner fisherman, a spinning rod and a spinning reel, and then. Larry nailed it with like a medium action rod, and also on on spinning rods or even casting rods. You'll, they'll they'll generally have like a, a line test rating on there, whether it's a six to twelve or a eight to seventeen. I'd, I'd be curious to get your guys's take on, but I've got a uh, I've got a rod. I think it's actually a fairly fast action rod, but it's it's a six to twelve uh, as far as the uh, test rating on it. I use that thing for everything from smallmouth to largemouth to pike 
to like does that six to twelve have a unit attached to it or is it just an arbitrary six to twelve? I think that's like the pound test. It's, a, it's like a line test rating. So when you're talking, okay. when you're looking at the type of line that you're going to be using, right? Generally, and I want to get your guys' take on this. I'm a mono guy, monofilament. But oh, um, shoot. what? <laughs> just to type a type of line. Well, is that what you're saying? Is that yeah. what that is? Yeah. Monofilament versus like uh, kind of like these braided lines braided that lines, are out yeah. now. Okay. Um, actually, they've been out for a long time, but. Yeah. Dude, I I use that for everything. Walleye fishing, everything. That I, I'd say that's like my that's not even like an 80/20 for me. It's like a 90/10. All right. But anyway, what what what's your guys' take on that? I was a mono guy till my whole fishing career until about 3 years ago. Wow. Yeah. Okay, switched, so that's what you yeah, switched to. Yeah, time. Fireline or I switched to um, there's different braids out there. I mean, Fireline. There's spider wire was the first. So yep. anybody that knows braid knows the word spider wire. Back that was kind of a category name. I switched to braid. It lasts ten times longer, so you're not respooling every year. Hmm. So it's economic. It's stronger for its diameter. So you could have. And now we get into get in the weeds again with pound test. So the breaking strength, so you can get something that breaks at 20-pound test, that's the diameter of 6-pound versus in, mono. in braid, versus mono, that's 6-pound test, and it breaks at 6-pound test. Oh, okay, okay. Or it breaks gotcha. at 6 pounds. Right. So I'm a braid guy. Knots are stronger. You can tell when it's getting bad. Mono can get is clear, excuse me, or colored, so you get microscopic nicks in it. I mean, you can lose a fish of a lifetime because of a simple thing like what's connecting your rod and reel to your bait. I mean, yeah. that's the weakest connection Yeah, right there. So I want to put everything in my favor. Um, and that's, that's why I, I don't know what Ben thinks about it, but I'm a big braid guy. I grew up using mono. Uh, I still will. It depends. Like if I'm fishing for anything that has teeth, I'm going to try to use braid or at least a leader. <laughs> Uh, mono seems, I mean, I, I've even, I think the reason I switched to braid was I was trout fishing and it wasn't a huge trout, maybe 16, 18 inches. I watched it come up and take my bait. I set the hook and it snapped right away. Hmm. Um, so I started looking online and a lot of people started recommending like use Fireline or anything that has that braided, uh, just durability. It's a lot. I've even noticed too, like I'll pull a lot more baits out when I'm getting snagged on a log or a rock because it just has more tension and has more more strength. Hmm. I, conversely, like I've had trouble when I'm actually like trying to break it off, and pull then I a, can't. You can't with braid. Yeah. You can pull. You like pull the hook straight, or you might break your pole, right? You know, or pull in a log. Uh, it's like, or, or you know, like that's a ton of stress on your reel. Yeah. Like I don't know. Like I've tried braid, and and, it, I, and I probably I haven't given it. It's due, but is it, and I'm probably set in my ways. Honestly, I, <laughs> yeah. I just like mono. That happens. Yeah, is it better to have a, a line that can perhaps more easily break, but is maybe easier to work with a little bit, like a mono at first, than to go straight to braided, or does it? Is it kind of six one half dozen the other? Braid is kind of a I call it a line for all seasons. Monofilament gets very stiff when it's cold. And that, you know, that's another thing to bring up. Like some lines are better suited for a casting reel. Some lines are better suited for a spinning reel. Yeah. I guess like, you know, some lines are, I guess, for like maybe there's some like softer versus more rigid. And like you said, mm -hmm. and then temperature can change that as well. Yeah. And the good thing about the good thing about mono is it's invisible to fish. 
Okay. Usually braid has got a color like your shirt or a black, or they even make high-vis stuff for darker water. So it depends on the type of water you're fishing in. If you're fishing in the Mississippi River, the muddy Mississippi, it doesn't matter what color you ha- line you have sure. on because mm-hmm. the fish can't see as well. In clear water, I mean, monofilament is this color. Like a clear water bottle? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there are some times I do use braid, but I always tie a section about this big of monofilament between my braided line and right. my hook. Oh, so it's got a little space of yeah. invisibility, yeah. Where, you know, like what was that, yeah. two feet long or something? Yeah. Well, and that'll mitigate kind of like that break-off problem, too, that I was talking about, because that's going right. to break before right. your braid um, does. So, okay, yeah, if your hook gets caught up on something that it's not getting off of. Yeah. I usually wrap it around a stick. I have a stick in my boat. I wrap it around. Oh, (laughs) the break-off stick. Yeah, Yeah. break-off stick. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I could see that. And that, again, that mitigates, you know, like... Yeah. Yeah. Wait, what do you wrap around a stick? The line. The braided line so you can break it instead of breaking your equipment or cutting your finger down to the ball. Where do you wrap it around the stick? Is it like... You just take the line that's so it's snagged or hung up on something. You yeah. want to break it to get it back. Oh, instead of using your pole to yank yeah. back, kind of you wrap it around. Oh, yeah. I see. Yeah, because you usually got stronger line than you'd normally work with because of smaller diameter. Yeah, I'm gonna give a tip too because like if you're fishing, you know, if you're in the in that well, hell, you don't have to be 101 level. Everybody's getting hung up all the time. That just happens when you're fishing. <laughs> yeah, but right? yeah. But one thing that I've seen kind of people who are newer to fishing do when they do get hung up there's uh at times a tendency to want to uh provide i guess more leverage so they they grab their rod above like either the 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 cork butt section of the rod or the foam foam butt section of the rod they actually grab it on the like the the graphite rod blank thinking they're going to get kind of more leverage or force and I'd say don't do that because you m- might break your rod yeah, right where it. your hand is. Number it's one, not where broke, they're meant to be grabbed. It's not where they're meant to be grabbed. And if you do break your rod, number one, you broke your rod. Number two, you might have some, you know, fragments of rod left in your hand if you do that. Well, that doesn't sound fun. No. Larry, hmm. anything to add? Ben, anything to add on that? Good idea. Yeah, good idea. I, I always kinda, grab the line. Sorry. Oh, you're good. Um, I kind of get what you're saying about 101. You know, everyone gets snagged, and I think that's a big thing. Uh, I've taken some people fishing before that aren't very experienced, and they seem to get frustrated or, like, embarrassed that they get snagged. And I think to just encourage them and say, like, yeah. this happens to me 10 times a day sometimes when I'm fishing. Yeah. Keep them interested in fishing and not discouraged. Yeah. Well, and also with that, oftentimes, like, fish relate to structure, right? Mm-hmm. Structure is what you're going to get snagged on. So yep. if you're fishing in the right spot, you're going to get snagged. You're going to get snagged. Yeah. That so, is yeah, that is true. good to know. So you're almost kind of you're dabbling, you're kind of like trying to ride that fine line a lot of times, I feel. Yeah. And eventually you're going to lose. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you're going to win though. So we've discussed a medium, what was it? Medium weight, medium action. Medium yeah. action, pole, spinning, pole and reel, right? Spinning rod and reel. Spinning yeah. rod. Yeah. Okay, it's it's rod well, and reel. Yeah. And then uh, some kind of... Did we come to a consensus? Uh, maybe there isn't a consensus because there's mono and there's braided line, but Larry runs a hybrid. <laughs> maybe that's the way you do it. I don't know. I think that's a, I think that's yeah. a great way to do it. And I think whatever... You're not going to pick a wrong one there. You're just going to learn how to f- fish that. Yeah. Right. You know? Yeah. 
you'll figure it out and then you might try other stuff, but mm. okay. But in general though, should somebody go, let's say they go for a mono just because I feel like when I've looked at fishing line, that's what I've always just pictured. That's the classic kind of, right? Do most rod, do they go do most this? rod reel combos of a person's going to buy a rod reel combo? Are they spooled up with mono versus they are, grade? They are, but okay. take it off yes. and buy some good stuff. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, all right. Rod and reel combos. When I go into a fishing shop and I see rods and reels and stuff there, I'm going to naturally gravitate towards the rod and reel combo because it seems stressful for me to try and go to, a you know, find a rod and then, okay, then there's this reel and then I got to attach them and then I got to put stuff on it. You're saying that it's not necessarily the best way to go to just take something off the shelf as is and just go with it, it with the string. I already with forget the, what it's with called. The, with the line that's The supplied. line that's already on it. No, yeah. no. The rod and reel combos are perfectly matched for somebody that's beginning They've got the right size reel, the right size rod. Okay. But usually the line that's on them is less. It's gonna you're gonna get frustrated because the line is probably heavier than it should have on it and not as good a quality as you should have. Hmm. So when you're talking about spinning rods or any rods, the most important thing I think for starting out is stay away from the cartoon stuff. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, I mean it's fun to talk about and people catch giant fish on cartoon rods, stay away. Okay. (laughs) All right. That's fair. How does one, if you're going and you get a rod and reel combo, so you find this uh, medium weight rod or whatever, the reel on the combos and stuff, you said will be the right size for the rod. So is that something you need to really worry about? Or if I went and I was looking for a medium weight rod, am I going to see all kinds of different reels? Different sizes. Different yeah. sizes. And is that just how much line it can fit on it? Or is that, does the size yeah. also have something to do yeah. with how well it yeah. performs? Yeah, it's based on what line it's, what line, like Ben said earlier, what line um, weights that it, like Mark said, a 6 to 12. That was mm-hmm. a 6 to, this rod will handle 6 to 12 pound line. Very good. Okay. So reels come in different sizes, 10, 20, 30, 40, which are easier to figure out because 10 is the lightest for most freshwater fishing 20 or 30 Mm -hmm. is perfect i mean there's not the only difference in those two numbers is spool capacity Mm -hmm. spool capacity how much line not necessarily like heavy dutiness of the actual reel or something yeah it does but that all goes with the line size line that i'll handle yeah oh okay gotcha and so those reels, they'll be marked to like, you know, whatever, like whether you get a 10, 20, 30, 40, it'll say it'll hold X amount of this, essentially this diameter line or, or this weight line. Like, you know, the same yeah. reel might hold 200 yards of six pound test line, but it might hold 100 yards of 12 pound, oh, right? Because that okay. 12 pound is going to have a larger diameter. Yep. Yeah, so, so yeah. And then, then you start talking reel. braid, you got to. It'll hold, you might have 20 pound braid and it's going to hold as much as it does for the, the six pound mono, if that makes sense. No, it does. Yeah, that makes sense. Cool. So, rod, reel, line. Are th- there's different lengths of poles, too, right? How do you know what length rod to get? Is I, that? It, it'll be dictated, in my opinion, by what you're fishing and how you're fishing so it's, for. So, it's not like. How tall are you? You know, that determines how That's part of it, though. Oh, it is? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. A youngster fishing, up, um, starting out, so if he's five years old, he doesn't want a seven-foot rod. 
he might there. be able to find a five and a half foot rod in the same weight and action. Mm-hmm. Okay. For an average person, I want to say from like 12 years old on, I think, I don't know what you think, Ben, but like a six and a half, six to six and a half foot rod. That's pretty standard, yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah, a six six is definitely, that, that'd be my go-to for 12 and up. Yeah. So you started saying something, though, almost that it would it could be dictated by what you're fishing for? Yeah. Well, so, and again, this goes into like, yeah, probably, different species of fish. Probably but above like, 101 level stuff. You know, like walleye, bass, a six foot six spinning rod, awesome. If you're float fishing for steelhead on Big River, you might want a uh, a nine to ten foot rod, right? Just to get the rod further off the boat, or uh, off, well, really off the boat. Mostly, it's keeping keeping your line on the water. And again, that goes into maybe some advantages of braid. Braid's going to float versus mono that won't. So you can get a better drift, you know, if you're float fishing oh, okay. with with braid. But, um, but for this kind of sake of the one on one level, the six and a half foot, six six and a half foot is. It's going to be a good spot to be. It's going to be a right, a really nice do all. I will say, Larry, getting back to your point of kind of uh, youngsters and rods and maybe steering clear of, uh, you know, going to, I guess we'll make all the, the cartoon rod manufacturers mad right now. Yeah. But with my girls, they're four and five right now. And when we go fishing, generally we've just done some pan fishing, which we talked about earlier. Awesome starter fish. Uh, I use my ice rods. Oh, good idea. That's pretty fun. They're short, lightweight easy to handle. They can navigate them, you know, as far as like not bumping them around on things. They're perfectly sized. Yeah, they are. And, and the cartoon rods might be good Christmas presents to practice casting in the yard mm-hmm. to get the motor skills until you get into the, the good stuff. I mean, I, th- I think they probably have a place, but not for fishing. I mean, that's my opinion. <laughs> Larry tried to pat it there. Like, yeah, I mean, the fishing rods, they're fine for everything but fishing. But fishing, right, exactly. Okay. <laughs> I'm remembering the story that Ryan Muckenhern and Kenny Calhoun here have of Kenny on a particular trip of sorts with Ryan having a few too many beers and going to Walmart and getting a Snoopy pole and hammering fish in the retention pond outside their hotel with it. But anyway, that, that might be another story to bring Kenny on for to explain. <laughs> so, okay, so kind of the, the rod length, all that stuff, maybe you've got it figured out. Is there, and I'll ask this because I don't want to necessarily, like, point out certain brands and act like we have favoritism or anything like that. Is there a certain price range somebody should be looking at to to stay good quality, but I didn't go way overboard, and I also didn't just cheap out and get something that's a piece of crap? What kind of a price range should I be looking at? In a rod and reel combo, I would say $59 to $79. Oh, okay. Bingo. Okay. That's not as bad as I thought for yeah. some reason. I thought it was going to be over 100 Oh, you know yeah. I try and talk you into something fancier. Than well, that, that's, yeah, that's because I hang around yeah. Mark a lot. And, yeah, Mark likes <laughs> the fancy stuff. So, Mark, I'd you say, would. Well, I'm sorry to cut you off. Oh, no I'd say um, what's funny is uh, when I was in college, I was pretty poor. And I actually kind of took pride in fishing with really cheap gear and then yeah. out fishing my friends that had like a $200 rod and reel. Sure. Well, I'm a little bit embarrassed about it. Like my musky rod was like $40 and it was made, um, kind of marketed towards catfishing in the South with, but it's big. Um, you could put whatever line you want on it. And I think I've caught probably about five or six musky on it. And nice. I've had a couple people while I'm musky fishing, like laugh at me and be like, that's what you're using. That's never going to work. And one time, 20 minutes later, I reeled one in and they helped nice. me land it. So <laughs> it really, cause you could, you could spend, you know, a thousand dollars on a rod and reel combo. 
Oh, I've totally. Also caught fish on a twenty dollar rod and reel combo. It just depends on kind of the level that you want to invest in. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and I think probably initially you're not going to know the difference. Yeah. You know, you're going to learn what you like. You know, maybe a maybe a different rod's going to have a, a different level of uh, you know flex, or it's going to be you know we can get into actions as far as you know like we're talking medium, medium heavy, fast action, slow action rods. Like I said, different different sensitivities, but like some fishing, you don't necessarily need a ton of sensitivity. Some, it's beneficial, uh, you know. So, but mm-hmm. I think I think these guys nailed it with like a really good sweet spot there, and yeah, and we're really blessed, honestly, with modern technologies and and you know a rod now that you can probably get for fifty bucks, probably you know. 10, 20 years ago was a $500 rod, Yeah, you know, so. Yeah, that is, you see that all over the place, you know, I mean, what, like a plasma screen TV, that was 40 inches back in the day, it used to be like a $10,000 TV, now you get it on Black Friday for like 200 bucks. Yep. Uh, and it's not plasma anymore, it's LCD, but, <laughs> so, okay, that's good to know, somebody going in, and then you factor in on top of that the line that you're going to get, which it sounds like is probably a good idea to replace the line that it comes with, but that can't be, I mean, anything crazy, right? Yeah, yeah, no. Would you say, Larry, for a spinning rod, do you would you want uh, like uh, I guess what would be consider a softer line or a more rigid line? And I guess speaking specifically to mono, I would say softer. Yeah, there's abrasion resistant. The more abrasion resistant the monofilament line is, the stiffer it is. Right, makes sense. So six to eight, a, a, what I call a soft line. I mean, they're pretty brand specific. Right. You know, oh, I know what, I've got my favorite. Yeah. I mean, XL, one brand that starts with XL, mean, XL means extra limp. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the softer the line, the better for spinning, absolutely. Because, like, a more rigid line tends to want to kind of almost, like, jump off the spool. Right, spool memory. Yeah. Another another mm-hmm. good reason. Like, not to, in a good way, not, like, not when you're casting or kind of when you're casting and then you get a mess. Yeah. I, th- I can kind of picture that. I picture times where I've looked down at the spool and it's got this, yeah, it's almost like it almost makes like a coil spring mm. instead yeah. of just another okay. reason to fish braid. No memory. Good to know. You're Mark, gonna, your mono is looking you're, pretty sad. You're right not, not going to talk me into it, Larry. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, also, uh, braid is probably three times more expensive than yeah, mono yeah. on average. So, yeah. okay. it really yeah. is what you're trying to fish for and how much you're looking to spend. Hey, yeah. look, now I'm, there's a point where I'm saving money, Jim. <laughs> I can't believe it. I honestly can't <laughs> believe that you like the thing that's less expensive. At that point, like at the point that we described for the rod and reel, is somebody pretty much set up aside from like hook and bait and bobbers? Well, or, can't forget your license. I mean, that's, true. The biggest, yeah. that's the biggest thing. You don't want a ticket. And... Yeah, that's very true, which I know in Wisconsin they make it pretty dang easy. You just go on the GoWild.com thing and you just go buy a fishing license. Mm-hmm. And we have a free fishing day the first Saturday in June every year. How does that mm-hmm. work? Uh, you, can, you can fish with no license. So really? if you're a beginner, there's free state park passes that day. There's no, no admission. And also you can fish without a license. So That sounds awesome. You could yeah. say they're trying to get folks hooked, Jim. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, MC Ryan could edit in the old, but um, yeah, exactly. That's perfect timing right there. But yeah, I mean, and that's that's a really big point. And, and, and honestly, I could see you know licensing not necessarily because of the cost being a barrier to entry, but 
I mean, I'll say this. It seems like a lot of state agencies, and now it's going to sound like I'm dogging on the state, um, but it can be complex. And again, it goes in depending on what you're fishing for. Like you got trout, you know, I'll take our state for this. Trout stamp, Great Lakes stamp. Are you going to fish for stir? Like all of a sudden it's kind of like, I don't know. I just wanted to go fishing, you know? Right, right. And I'd say for most 101 type fishing, you probably are going to be okay with a general fishing license, but definitely make sure to check depending on where you're going to be regionally, maybe a specific piece of water. Uh, make sure you've got all the yeah. appropriate licensing because, like you said, you don't want to go well, out there and have a negative experience and get in trouble of something that you just kind of yeah. weren't aware of. And if you're a big hunter, it may make sense. Again, this is speaking in the state of Wisconsin. I, I, I don't know if it's like this in other places, but you have that thing that you got where you basically paid one flat fee and you, you essentially have every license there is to get in Wisconsin. So, yeah, I'd say right? a, a lot of states have, uh, I think uh, here we call it the Conservation Patrons License, I call it the catch and kill anything license. It's honestly like <laughs> I, I buy it as like almost like a safety. Number one, I engage in a lot of different activities. Some some I might only do a couple times a year, but I still, you know, duck hunt. I still steelhead fish in the Great Lake. You know, I still so. But number one, you're making a solid donation to the state. Number two, basically, if you want to go do something, you can do it outside of. I guess you still need your federal waterfowl stamp. You know that that that's something different. But um, now we're getting into hunting, but. It's also nice because if somebody says, hey, do you want to go do this? You just, you know you can go. You just say, yeah. Like you said, it's a little extra expense, but it's an option to, you know, dot your I's, cross your T's. It, it, yeah, that is nice. You don't have to think about, am I in a great lake or am I in a river or, right. you know, oh, I thought I was good to fish it here, but this turns out that it's this body of water that, or you know. Yeah, it's actually a very good buy. I mean, it's about the cost of two nights out, you know out to dinner. Yeah. It's about the price really of that to a nice restaurant. So yeah. it's there's a ton of value in it. Mark's got a Mark's got a great point there. Well, and and hopefully, going hopefully fishing, you're making some of that back with a few dinners. Yeah. Going yeah, hunting or fishing is uh, a lot a lot better than going out to dinner. Yes. Um, so okay, but good point on the licensing. So you got that stuff. But you know, as far as uh as far as year goes, you kinda just need to get into bait and hooks and bobbers, right? I'd say it's a great place to start. Yeah, excellent place to start. What do you so you, now you have a rod and reel and line on those on that stuff? What do you put on the line to go catch fish? How do you set that up? I'm a, I'm gonna start with a again. We start going into sizes again. Yeah. So we're gonna go with a number six hook, number six wire hook. Because the wi- the reason I say wire versus so something a little bit that's like not this. wire. If you're yeah. watching on <laughs> so, you're watching on YouTube, um, Larry brought in the hook that caught Jaws. Yeah, that's not your standard that's bluegill rig. Yeah. <laughs> so to to use it as a size example, this is a 22 aught hook, and the hook you would use is a number six, which is about the size of the openings, about the size of my little fingernail. So number six hook, some red worms that maybe you dug in your backyard. I mean, that's another story. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was notorious for getting caught in other people's backyards <laughs> after dark trying, <laughs> to, <laughs> trying to find yeah. night crawlers. You know, the guys with the most fertilizer have the most night crawlers, so that's a good tip for a beginner. All right. All right. Um, There's a guy on our street that has we're encouraging. the luscious lawn I've ever seen yeah. in my life. He might have to kick me out of his yard. <laughs> So the, so a dozen night crawlers, 
some number six hooks, um, maybe a couple medium-sized bobbers. I mean, probably, you know, an inch around, an inch and a half, and you can probably catch any fish in the United States. Yeah. Maybe a couple lead weights. Yeah, throw in yeah. some split shot yeah, perhaps. Yeah, split shot sinkers. What are the, those you put on the uh, on the hook pinch, end of the bobber, yeah, right? Yeah, they pinch right you on. Pinch them right on, and that, yeah. just, that just keeps the hook from... Keeps it from moving, and you can cast farther. You know, the okay. farther you can cast from shore, the bigger fish you're going to catch. Okay, kind of. It's going to make sure that your bait stays Trust. at the level that you want it to as well, okay. and provides some. Depending on the type of bobber you're using, it can assist in holding it. You know, more vertical versus laying yeah. on its side. And or, you you determine how deep it's going to go by where you set the bobber on the line, right? Yep, correct. Because mm-hmm. that essentially then just floats up there, and that mm-hmm. your bait hangs from there yeah okay and that that rig is going to work in in rivers and lakes yeah you know for multiple species a lot of fish like to eat worms all right so you're getting those guys so you go like you just said lakes rivers you just kind of find a body of water larry earlier you were saying find a place where you know there's fish is there a way or ben maybe you can speak to this too is there a way to look and say, yeah, I know that place has fish. Do you just kind of, is that all from hearsay or is there a place online that says, yeah, this body of water has more fish than the other? There's definitely some word of mouth. Um, like Larry said, um, you know, kind of being a bait shop, um, bum or uh, just hanging around bait shops. If you go to pretty much any bait shop in Wisconsin and just ask them what's biting, they're probably going to lead you in the right direction. Like some might not give you their best spots, but they will tell you kind of the the weekly report or where the fish are. Mm -hmm. I think besides that, I know it's kind of a common sense, but if you see people fishing in a spot, there's probably a reason they're there. Like they might not be biting that day, but that's sometimes where I keep things in mind. Like, oh, I saw a couple cars back there. There's definitely fish there. Mm-hmm. Okay. Your state regulations will give yeah. you some guidance as mm-hmm. well as far as which species might be located in, in a specific body of water. Okay. Yeah. But otherwise, you just find some with public access. and Public access. And then the other, the uh, to go on both these folks' point, creel senses. So the states do creel censuses. Cre- I don't know if that's the right word. Is it censuses? I think so. <laughs> yeah. Sure. They... They monitor fish that are caught from a certain body of water. So there's actually a guy or a gal for their college summer job is sitting at a boat landing counting all the fish that come in off of that lake. Hmm. So because the State Department Fish and Game does it, it's all public knowledge. So yeah. You, and, and also they do creel, sur- not, not creel services. They do netting in the spring and fall. Okay. That's all available online. There's a lot of websites, fishing websites, that'll give you that information, or you can just go on just the state website for whatever state you're in and get the information. Fish ratio per acre, mm-hmm. pretty, pretty heady stuff, but that'll help. And then, like Ben says, that's kind of my deal is watching where everybody else is going. Noted. When you get there, are you just throwing, throwing the thing out there and just throwing a worm on a hook out there and just kind of anywhere? One thing I've tried to get better at is I used to kind of be a stubborn fisherman. Like, this is going to work. This is going to work. <laughs> As I get older, I feel like I will just try multiple kinds of bait to figure out maybe it's a color thing. Like, that day they want this. Um, other times, sometimes I literally will look in my tackle box, think to myself, what's the last thing you would use? 
I put that on and it works for some reason. Yeah. And it's just repetition. When yeah. you're talking about color now, you're talking about stuff that isn't live bait, right? No, more artificials. But okay. I've been amazed sometimes. You know, I'll be fishing with, let's say, a silver and white bait. Nothing. And the second I switch to like red and black, it's just everything's eating that. I think it mimics a natural bait in the water, whether it's a bug or a minnow that just hatched. It's uh, kind of matching the hatch, as they say. Well, and it could be uh, light conditions. Yep. You know, anything. Clarity, water clarity. Yep. How do you just? How do you determine? Okay, I'm going to get into the artificial bait thing here a little bit, and I'm I'm sure it's a can of worms. Uh, sorry. Can I get that? <laughs> can I get that uh, yeah, we drum? need a sound effect again. <laughs> anyway. Um, that's one of the things that I see a bazillion different kinds of when you go in. I'm sure, I know it depends on the fish, but again, we're talking kind of one-on-one level, somebody who's just going out and casting into a lake offshore or into a river or something like that. What what might be an artificial bait that you're looking for, uh, if at all, or do you just go live bait when you're doing that? Map spinner. Map, Map, Map spinner, spinner will catch every fish in the world. Pretty universal. There's a different size for every fish you could catch. So there's like small From ones a double to zero to a number five spinner. That's about like that. And they make Zosky um, killers too that are like yeah. Yeah, this big. What does a MEP spinner look like? So there's a shaft with a hook on the end, and there's a um, little thing wound on there. So the spinner, as it goes through the water, the water pressure makes the spinner turn, right, Mark? Yeah. It's basically like a blade. Like Just a little yeah. metal yeah. blade. Yeah. Blade. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So that gives off vibrations. When minnows swim through the water, they give off vibrations. Mm-hmm. Fish have a lateral line. Every fish has a lateral line going down the side, which is like their sense of touch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They can feel it, and they know that if they go towards that sound or that vibration, there's probably going to be food on the other side of it. Hmm. So it's like a dinner bell. Yeah. And then you got some flash involved there yep. from the metal blade. And, yep. of course, then there's, you know, some of the blades are a combination of being painted, whether that's like a, the classic red and yep. white and you to, go to color a fire again. tiger to, you know, a nickel to a brat. There's, yeah. you know, I mean, obviously lots of different ones. But. And you're still using that with a bobber and oh. maybe some weights? No. Or? No. Okay, so you don't put a bobber on that. So you tie that direct to your line, nothing else on it. Oh, okay. And then instead of throwing it out and watching and waiting for the bobber to go down when a fish hits it, you cast it out. So you can cover more water than watching a bobber. And that'll work in a trout stream, and it'll work on a river or a lake. Is that uh, one of those ones you cast out and then you reel it back in kind of yeah. almost immediately? Mm-hmm. Definitely cast and retrieve yeah. on that. Yeah. You can change your speeds. So that's a nice thing about a spinner, too. Um, you know, the slower it's obviously going to drop more, and the faster it's going to hang higher in the water column. Okay. Yep. I'd say, yeah, MEP spinners, as far as, you know, we're talking about, you know, casting, retrieving, MEP spinners, rooster tails, and little Cleos are pretty solid bets for covering water. I don't know if if you guys have fished them, but I've caught a ton of different things on uh, Dick Knight spoons as well. It must be a Northwest thing. It is. It's like it's a it's a super lightweight. I, I call it like a little flutter spoon. I don't know if that's the correct term for it. Again, a variety of colors, couple different sizes there, but you control them. You can uh, back bounce them. Uh, now we're getting into stuff, but but I, man, I've caught salmon, trout, steelhead, bass, everything on them. But but that's that's a, a case where you do need to add weight. I'll either add a split shot. Uh, ahead of it 
or uh, sometimes I will ha- use an egg sinker. And I think we should get into egg sinkers a little bit when we're talking about bait fishing as well here. But um, so I'll slide an egg sinker on my line first, then a small, uh, I'll put a little bead behind that to protect my knot because I'm going to tie on a barrel swivel. And then like Larry was talking about having a leader that he uses with, uh, I'll tie on a lighter weight leader than my main mono line uh, directly to that little flutter spoon. I think this is where when people think about getting into fishing, I they, just uh, I didn't want to one that one. Get yeah. all heady, yeah. Because <laughs> all of a sudden you were not speaking English, right? But I was getting excited. Welcome back. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome back to the show where we speak English. <laughs> I don't know if we want to dive into what you just explained or if that's another podcast. We'd almost need a visual on. You'd that need one. a visual, yeah, yeah I think on that we do. one. We'll have to bring in a, a visual for the YouTube viewers. Uh, next time we do a, a fishing podcast on that one. One Frank, thing Mark Frank. talked about was color. That we there's a real important rule, and this is 101. Whether it doesn't matter how experienced you are, bright lures on bright days, dark lures on dark days. Which seems counterintuitive. It does. Yeah, but it's all about contrast. So think of yourself being a fish underwater, and most of the stuff you go after comes over the top of you. Okay. So. The silhouette against the sky, bright colors are easier to are a better silhouette on bright days and dark. And and Mark's right, but it works. It seems to the shading, the way a fish sees something, it's easier for them to see a light lure over the top of their head or a bright lure, mm-hmm. orange, chartreuse, pink. I mean, probably the top three. If you went with those three colors, everybody's got their favorite. If you went with those three colors. I think you could catch anything that swims. Shark, hmm. and again, talk about counterintuitive or stuff that has never made sense to me, but chartreuse and hot pink, why those are essentially like super go-to colors in a lot of ways. I think it's got to do with, I uh, did a little studying on this. It's got to do with the cones. Fish have cones in their eyes. Okay. And they see things different. Okay. Like you think red is a bright color. But actually, to a fish, it's invisible after in deeper than ten feet of water. Well, yeah, and wow. if, if, if you look at it too, I, th- I feel like even like to me, like it's a color that disappears yeah. fairly quickly when, when you dark, when yeah. you drop it down. Getting to what Larry was talking about, you know, bright lures on bright days. So, like, if you've got a reflective lure, like that'll come into it, like you know, like, like a, shiny, like, metal like, like a metallic, yeah. And then, of course, you've got different metallics, too. You've got duller finishes versus, uh, I guess, more reflective surfaces. So, again, kind of like that same rule of thumb when you're fishing it on a bright day versus a a darker day. Would you guys say that what makes the difference between a super experienced, quote, good fisher, man or woman, and somebody who's not as good, beginner, is just what they put on their line and how they throw it out there i think it's like where 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 it is you think it's more where they go and where they cast and everything yeah okay i think most fish will bite on anything and if it's the right time and the right place i don't think selection matters although if you talk to a tournament angler i mean those guys are hyped it doesn't matter what tournament i mean look at a bass pro catalog and look at the colors available on anything. Hmm. So they might say it matters what what Col- you're choosing, what colors, colors. and all that stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. color oh, specific. 
But I think, yeah, if you're if you're cast into a spot where there aren't fish, you're not going to catch nothing. No. So, like you said, you got to be the right time, the right place, know what type of structure or, you know, whether it's uh, lily pads or undercover or underwater uh, rocks, a downed log. Like, if you see a big log, maybe a fallen tree that's coming off the bank and down into the water, chances are there's a fish right by it. You might yep. get hung up trying to get them. But you might get them too. Is that what you're finding too, Ben? Yeah, I mean, I I think a lot of it too. I Larry nailed it. Right place, right time. Um, whether it's the morning or dusk, and I still think though, uh, quite a bit of fishing has to do with luck. You know, I've seen people before that have really no experience, and they sometimes will outfish uh, more experienced angler. I think luck plays into it. Color definitely does, and because I've I've been fishing before with my dad. Right, I'm on the front of the boat. He's on the back. We're using the same exact bait, and some days I'm catching them all, some days he's catching them all. I think it just sometimes is a little bit up to the fish and luck. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Mm-hmm. One thing, you know, bass are pretty common fish, right? You, a lot of states have, you know, good populations of bass, lots of water, bodies of water hold bass, smallmouth and largemouth, which you'll probably fish for somewhat differently at times. But uh, soft plastics are extremely popular for those species. And again, you can get into colors a lot with that too. Yeah. Yeah. Bass eat weird stuff. <laughs> yeah. They do. They eat some. I mean, if you go on a lake bed and like run your hand through like a marshy lake or something, there's some pretty ugly looking bugs and stuff. And bass eat all that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> They're into it. I think bass will eat almost anything. Uh, I when think I was they a will. kid, I was reeling in. It was garbage like, disposal. Fish. <laughs> yeah. uh, I was reeling in about a 16 inch bass and it spit up about a 10 inch snake. That it half yeah. digested. So Jeez. they'll eat anything. I yeah. think most fish are opportunists. Like I know people yeah. who fish for trout and they'll actually use, uh, at night, they'll use mouse patterns because right. it simulates a mouse swimming across the creek. Mouse what? A mouse pattern. Uh, musky baits, you know, they have like duck baits. They have everything you could imagine. Um, especially a whole, like duck? Yeah, or like a, like a miniature, like a duckling, yeah. something like yeah, that. Yeah, imitate like a baby duck that maybe got away from mom a little bit. Especially Muskies are crazy. They <laughs> too far. Yeah. like dinosaurs underwater. They are. Sharks, kind of. Yeah. And because, um, you know, those hyper-aggressive species like trout and muskie, I think they basically will attack and try to eat anything. Mm-hmm. I yeah. I think that's just in their nature. Like a like a terrier. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're not afraid of anything. No. Yeah. I mean, they're the top-line. Dominance. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty wild. I think you nailed it, though, as far as being opportunists. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you will get whatever, you get into, like, fly fishing for trout, and at times maybe there's a hatch going on, and so the fish are, like, hyper-focused on one thing. But oftentimes, like you said, if it's if it's in front of them, they're going to eat it. So being where there's fish. Now, if you don't have, like, a fish tracker underwater, like Mark was saying, you can try and find some places that would seem to be good habitat for fish to be in, and uh, that would be, like, behind rocks or down tree log something weird just happened in here thunderstorms messing with us but it, even in that case like mark you were casting behind a bunch of those rocks and in logs and nothing was biting i was shocked actually and in that case yeah it actually, i mean i'm not saying i'm the, like but we're on a stretch of a river that had good structure it's known to be a good smallmouth river i felt like we were in appropriate water compared to some other parts we were in and i just to have a hard time believing those fish have been fished too very often. Um, the water was pretty fast. I was fishing little Cleo, just kind of, you know, kind of a search bait, covering water, 
getting it in different pieces of pocket water and nothing. Yeah, it was weird. Mm. But in that, ca- in that case, I mean, just it's got to come down to you guys have all been fishing for a long time. Like, there's just got to be days where you go out fishing and just nothing bites, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because then, happens. like, thunderstorm going on right now, weather is key. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. Pressure. Fish don't have eyelids. So okay. they're very susceptible to high pressure. Hmm. So high pressure, sunlight, sunny day, high pressure day. A fish, it bothers their eyes, so they go to cover. They might go deep cover. Okay. Something that is not accessible with with traditional angling, you know, right. gear. You, you just made me think of something, and I think this is an awesome 101 tip. It's pleasant to fish in the summertime, right? But oftentimes, it's brighter, sunnier out. A shadow can be as much structure as structure itself, yeah. or... Uh, and don't forget docks either, right? Because they're providing structure and shade. So that's okay. something you want to key in on. So fish don't like bright sun, and when you say high pressure, is that like barometric pressure? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it just kind of messes with their fish bladder. What would that do then as far as you're saying it's thunderstorming right now? How is that affecting Right them? before the storm? Yeah. Awesome. Oh, okay. Low pressure. Man, they're they're, they're feeding, yeah. But then feeding. after, you know, when the cold front comes in, they almost then, just shut off because then you got the high pressure pushing that out again, and then you run into that same that same issue. Interesting. Like we talked about earlier, not a one hundred and one fish, but I've talked to a lot of musky fishermen that, like you said, before this storm was rolling in. Yeah. I mean, they're keying in on that and fishing on the front end of it. And when musky, you know, goes so late in the season, you know, sometimes it's like snowing out when you're catching them because that is a storm. But uh, okay, and right. it's unpleasant. Like one of the last times I went, uh, <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> yeah, I went last year in late November. I think it was about 32 degrees out, and it was right in between rain and snow, and they were biting like crazy. I was using six to eight inch uh, live suckers, and I lost like five or six suckers before I finally landed a, a musky. Awesome. Hmm. It's cold. You know, you have to dress for it. You have to wear your neoprene waders. Yeah, yeah, you got to be ready. But a sunny day can still be good if there's cloud cover. Okay. So if there's a little bit of humidity in the air, that there's still like ozone or whatever you would call it that still blocks some of the sun. I mean, mm-hmm. a, I mean a totally super sunny day, high pressure, like after a storm would go through big cold front comes through then you get when you get above i would say 30 it's a bad fishing day i don't care if it's under the ice i don't care if it's at night there's like a night's going to be better day, morning and night are going to be better there's like a unit of pressure right. right okay right and if you get a long stretch of high pressure any weather change whether it gets colder warmer the first part of that change, wind direction shift, is. I mean, this isn't one-on-one. Mm-hmm. But if you get four days of south wind and the wind swings around to the north, it's the front end, front end of a cold front, but it's a change, and, it, and it's, I don't know what it does. It triggers fish. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Almost like kind of just snaps them out of yeah, kind of like I mean, their lull that they've been in. I mean, you guys have been out on a lake, and all of a sudden the wind's at your back now. Yeah. And the fish start biting. You know, it's not in your face anymore. It's at your back, and the fish start biting. Um, That's wacky. Yeah, crazy, <laughs> crazy stuff. I mean, hunters, you know, 
Hunters follow the moon. And the big thing now you see on the commercials is the red moon. Moon underfoot, moon up above. <laughs> yeah. My favorite day to go fishing, no matter what the weather conditions, if the moon is up during the day in daylight. Good. Oh, like when you wake up in the morning, the moon's still, you can still see it? 10 o'clock in the morning, moon's still up. There you're golden. All right. Boom. That's a pro tip. That's a pro, That's a pro tip. tip right there. Yeah. Hmm. Noted. I'm going to go back to a 101 rig that I think could be beneficial to a lot of folks. And again, it involves an egg sinker, which is just, it's an egg-shaped lead sinker with a hole in it. So you slide that on your line. Do you crimp it it down? Nope, it's it's free-floating, right? Which that's part of the benefit of it, right? Okay. Then I would uh, tie that to a barrel swivel, which is just, it's not a snap swivel, so it doesn't have anything. You're going back to this thing. I know, but it's it's still pretty simple. It's a simple setup. I removed at least the plastic bead to protect your knot. And, of course, you might lose a fish. And <laughs> and then to a leader off the other side of that barrel swivel to, What's a leader? you know, uh, just another piece of monofilament. Oh, right? okay, yeah, So yeah, just yeah, a yeah. shorter piece of monofilament appropriate to whatever, you know, length that you're trying to do. And then, and then a hook and your bait. Cast it out. Let it sit on the bottom. This would be like, I, I consider this like a good catfish rig mm-hmm. or something like that. You can leave your line taut where it's a little bit tighter the other nice thing is if you just leave a little bit of slack i guess when that fish picks up that bait they're not going to feel that resistance because all they're feeling is the bait sliding through that sinker that's on the ground so they're not going to be as likely to like feel that tension and get nervous about it and let it go and i mean it's kind of a set it and forget it type fishing where you can get your rod if you have some sort of rod holder or heck you know a forked branch uh, some people tie bells to their rod, to you know, uh, to the tip of their rod, to auditorily, like, oh my gosh, I'm getting a bite. I need to yeah. go over and reel that fish in. That's a nice, relaxing way to fish, and can be pretty darn effective for catfish and other stuff. We'll pick it up too. Okay, bring this setup in, and then we'll take a picture of it. Okay, and then people can actually see what the heck you're talking about. Okay, because I don't get it. That's a mark rig. That's a mark. That's that's the mark. You guys mark. never fished that. At all? Ever? There's a variation of that that used for walleye fishing. I think there's a lot of variations yeah. of that rig. Right. Yeah, it'd be considered kind of like a Lindy rig type thing. Yeah, Lindy rig, and sometimes instead of a hook, they'll put a floating hook, floating yep. jig on it to keep it up in the current. I think you guys do something like that for steelhead, don't you? Oh, yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, for a drift fishing rig. another word for hook? Well, it's like a hook, but it has um, like a sinker built into it. Oh, so the weight instead of on the line would be right here. Yeah. Gotcha. A lead weight. Okay. One of the rigs that we had set up for last weekend was a jig. So it was a, a jig head or a jig hook. So you had like a it was a lead head jig, right? Yeah. And then it's got the eye of the hook. The jig head provides the weight. And then I threaded a soft plastic onto that jig to, it was kind of, it was uh, kind of like a creature bait crawfish imitation okay. type thing. Got it. All right, last question I wanted to ask. How often are you guys fishing to eat fish versus just fishing to just catch and release? 100%. 100% what? Eating. For eating fish? Yeah. Okay. Larry's not letting too many legal walleye back? <laughs> not <No>. too many. <laughs> so you got to know what's legal, yeah. right? Yeah, I mean, there's possession limits you got to stay in. Okay. If you Sometimes, got your, you know, size restrictions. Size yep. restriction, restrictions, slot limits. I mean, it can... There's a lot of stuff. 
So again, check your regs. How about yeah. you, Ben? I think for me, it it just depends so much on what I'm going for. Uh, I really like trout fishing down by like the Viroqua uh, kind of lacrosse region, um, the Driftless region. When I'm trout fishing, I don't typically keep that many. Hmm. On the other side, when I go fishing on Mendota with my dad, we're keeping every panfish that that's big enough to eat. You know, oh you man, you're keeping Mendota fish? Yeah, yeah, we do. I, I haven't noticed too many. Uh, you haven't found anything <laughs> wrong with those? <laughs> Just the six toe, but uh, wasn't too bad. <laughs> um, no, but like like Larry said, if I catch you know five walleye that are legal, I'm probably going to keep them okay. unless they get too big. Sometimes if a fish gets too big, it gets a little bit uh, less sought after in terms of taste. Yeah, selective harvest. I yeah, mean, take a few to eat, throw a few back. Yeah. All right, Mark. Yeah, I'd say about the same. It seems like some fish, for whatever reason, whether it's culturally or maybe just, you know, from a palate, like you, you keep some species, you're more inclined to let some species go. It can depend on, on the day, too, you know, or even time. Like I had time to go fishing, but maybe I don't have time to uh, take care of these fish, get them home, clean them, get them processed and put up. Yeah. Um, but I'd say, yeah, if I'm walleye fishing, I'm on a meat hunt. Yeah. If I'm salmon fishing and it's legal, I'm probably on a meat hunt. You know, <laughs> when you get into salmon and steelhead, oftentimes there's wild fish restrictions. You can keep you can keep uh, hatchery fish, but you can't keep wild fish. Oftentimes delineated by the uh, presence or not of the, the adipose fin, fin. Uh, they'll clip that off in the hatchery. <laughs> uh, people call them you know, clippers or fin clipped or or whatever. So, but um, depends on the place too. You know, sometimes you know if you're going back home that night. You know, maybe you don't need to keep that fish, but if you're in the middle of the wilds like we were the other day. Camping. Camping. Yep. It's nice to have a nice little shore lunch. Excellent. All right. What do you say we do some last calls, Mark? I'm sure you have seven. And then Larry and Ben will end on you guys. All right. I'll start. Okay. All I'm going to say is that it sounds like I'm going to go get about a six and a half foot medium weight pole and rod and reel combo and put some... Mark, I think I'm going to go with a braided line. Hey, it's your life. Braided line on it and get a number six hook, some lead weights and a bobber and some worms call. out of my neighbor's yard, and I'm just going to send it. I think you boiled it down. It's going to send it. All right. Preferably on a cloudy day or right before a thunderstorm. Uh, okay, Mark, you're up. Man, I think like we were talking earlier, I can't remember if it was when we were on or off, but fishing is so fun and you learn so much from it. Not even a lot about fishing, a lot about fish, the different types of fish. Uh, You're going to see some amazing things out there. I think there's just something extremely, if you haven't fished before, you should go fishing because there's something so extremely just primally exciting about it. I would challenge anybody to hook a fish for the first time and feel it on the end of their line and get it to the bank and not be smiling. I, d- I don't think it's possible. And uh, there's just there's so many different types of fish, places you can go. It can bring you to the amazing parts of the world. Start fishing, man. Yeah. If you haven't been fishing, start fishing. You're going to love it. That's it? I guess. I don't know. I don't mean like that, we that, about, I don't mean that, that so wasn't much, a good one. I'm just saying you only had one last so, call. There's so much to it. Yeah. There's so much to it. There's nuances. There's different, re- like I said, there's, uh, if you, yeah, if you, if you like hobbies where there's a lifetime of learning. Yeah. That's a great one. I didn't mean to insult the integrity of your last call. I was just surprised that <laughs> you only had one. Uh, that's it. It's so, right. it's so big. It's hard to have more than one. Well yeah. done. All right. Larry. My last call is if you're looking for information, 
in bait shops, other fishermen, don't be too eager. Fishermen have tremendous egos, and they're very secretive, so play to both of those. Okay. Uh, congratulate them on a good catch. Sometimes in, if a guy comes in with a nice trophy fish or a limit of fish, if you can kind of ask around, bite around the edge, and get enough information. Noted. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Play it clever. Play it sly. Where'd you catch those may not be the best question to ask. Correct. Yeah. yeah. And, and the other thing is when you're sliding over there looking at his fish, look at what lures he's got on his rods. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Good Another to know. pro tip from Larry. Good to know. I guess my last call is going to be um, just about Wisconsin. Um, I grew up fishing in Wisconsin. I think I've caught almost every fish in Wisconsin except for paddlefish. Uh, we have great waterways in Wisconsin. I hope we keep them that way, um, you know, from the rivers, streams, lakes. And uh, I guess, too, Larry and I will have to get out of here while I fish in the fall. Mm-hmm. What's a paddlefish? I'm trying uh, to remember what like that is. They're, like, prehistoric. They're pretty endangered. Um, yeah. Yeah. They're kind of dinosaurs. Plankton eaters, right? Yeah. They yeah, have a big, long surf. snout on them, and they, and they swim with their mouth open. Yeah. And their gill rakers pick up. They eat plankton. They're giant fish, They're like huge. 60, yeah. 70 pounds. Ooh. And um, what the big snout does is it keeps them balanced in the water as they're swimming with their mouth open. kind of stabilizes them. Yeah. I mean, their mouth is like a bucket. Yeah, almost like a whale in the way it feeds. That is a good analogy. Yeah. Yeah. They have, you yeah. There's yeah. no bones in them. They got one thing of cartilage goes down their back. Shark-like, sturgeon-like. Yeah. yeah. I'd say Dinosaur. more whale and shark-like. Yeah. That's pretty sweet. Yeah. That's another thing about fishing. There are so many different kinds of fish. Yeah, and it takes you to, takes you to cool places. Ryan's got one up Look at that, right MC there. Ryan. Thank you very much. Look at that thing. It looks like a platypus fish. <laughs> it's so... It's so much like a normal fish, and then you get to its face, and it's not. Yeah, very prehistoric. Freshwater billfish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Excellent. All right. All right. Well, gentlemen, thank you very much for joining us. Folks out there who are kind of at this uh, entry point into fishing, kind of looking to get started in perhaps. Hopefully this helped you out. But, of course, if you have other questions, let us know. And uh, like everyone here has pretty much said, there are very many different ways to to fish for different kinds of fish. So perhaps we'll have to get into some of that here in the future. So I think we'll sign off. Happy hunting and shooting, everybody, and fishing. And fishing. Tight lines. Tight lines. (laughs) All right. Keep that tip up. Bye. All right. That'll wrap it up for this episode of the Vortex Nation podcast. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Hit that subscribe button so you can always stay up to date on the latest happenings over here at the Vortex Nation podcast. Leave us a review or comment down below. We want to hear what you have to say about the show. Maybe what you like, maybe what you didn't like. So that way we can make these podcasts as good as they can be. You can also follow us on Instagram at Vortex Nation Podcast. We'll be posting about each episode released. So that way you can go back, find these things, maybe grab a little nugget of information that you can take with you to the range, out in the field. Or uh, maybe to the kitchen if we're talking about some good food. So, again, everybody, thanks, and happy hunting and shooting. We appreciate it. Have a good one.